Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, Episode 62, Crystal Clear. Here at Cheap Astronomy, we can see through a glass cheaply and are happy to run with whatever curveballs listeners may throw at us. For example... Dear Cheap Astronomy, is the universe an E8 crystal? Well, probably not. If only because most theoretical models rarely survive the journey to genuine evidence-based theory without some major modifications happening along the way. E8 theory has some broad similarities with string theory insofar as it is also a proposed theory of everything aiming to unify standard model particle physics and general relativity, that is, Einstein's theory of gravity. But, just like string theory, it's probably not appropriate to call E8 theory a theory, since its evidence base is pretty much non-existent. It's a hypothesis, and a largely untestable one, at least with any current technology. Nonetheless, as with most theoretical models, you can't just dismiss it out of hand, since the universe, that is, everything, clearly exists. So there clearly must be an underlying theory of everything, although it's one we are yet to formulate. So that underlying theory of everything could be E8 theory, or it could be string theory, or it could be some weird combination of the two, or it could be something totally different. And of course, by the time we do establish a theory of everything, we will probably have realised that what we thought was everything is actually only a small part of everything, and from there we will commence a search for a theory of absolutely everything. Anyhow, in asking whether the universe is any kind of a crystal... What we're really asking is whether it has an underlying organised structure composed of repeating patterns. You can have two-dimensional crystals, which are like a simple grid drawn out on a piece of paper, and you can have three-dimensional crystals, like a cubed lattice or a dodecahedronal lattice, and such three-dimensional crystals would include things like quartz and glass and diamonds things that we usually think of as being crystals. In fact, those animations that science communicators like to make, where you see space-time drawn as a two-dimensional grid that is then curved into hills and valleys due to the distribution of mass in the universe, end up implying that the universe is a crystal, in a technical sense, since that grid pattern is a repeating pattern that essentially pervades the universe. Indeed, any kind of field theory, which is based on any kind of matrix mathematics, also pretty much implies that the universe is a crystal, in a technical sense. But to say that the universe is an E8 crystal requires accepting a lot more weirdness than just that. Again, a bit like string theory, E8 theory tries to explain everything by appealing to the existence of extra dimensions. And, not surprisingly, E8 theory requires there be eight dimensions. A bit like hologram universe theories, 
E8 theory claims that the universe we perceive as three spatial dimensions and time is really the projection of an eight-dimensional crystal universe onto the four dimensions that we are able to see and experience. So E8 theorists like to call our perceived universe a quasi-crystal. The real weirdness, though, comes from E8 theory being an emergence theory, where it's implied that the projection of the E8 crystal onto our three spatial dimensions and time self-organises from a random mess of lines and angles into the universe of particles and forces that we are familiar with. Indeed, the way that E8 theory deals with time means that self-organisation has an inevitability about it. So the past forms the future, and the future also forms the past. It's all about retro-causality time loops, apparently. If you aren't already cringing a little, it's also implied that there's some kind of self-actualization built into our reality, which inevitably leads to the existence of self-aware beings, perhaps because it's their future awareness that drives the past to self-organize out of chaos. So the stuff about the eight-dimensional crystal universe projecting onto our 3D plus time-dimensional universe is kind of interesting, in the same way that string theory's 10, 11 or 26 dimensional universe is kind of interesting. But if the existence of the universe depends on us as its self-actualizing agents, then we are positioning ourselves in a privileged, non-Copernican position. Notwithstanding that any universe whose existence depends upon our intelligence is in a bit of strife from the start. This is the middle bit. It is generally best to remember we are composed of stellar dust that just happened to be in the neighbourhood, and from that first protoplasmic point, we've since evolved to fit whatever local conditions surround us. Send us unprotected to another planet, and we'd curl up and die pretty fast. So the idea that the universe somehow depends on us is the wrong way around. We need it. It doesn't need us. But anyway, speaking of other planets, dear cheap astronomy, can we directly image exoplanets and check for biosignatures? Well, we can directly image them. There's an easily found list of directly imaged exoplanets on Wikipedia. Of course, any such images are just small, smudgy dots. There are limits to how much you can magnify an image from light years away. For a start, to get high-resolution images, you'd need to ramp up your aperture diameter by orders of magnitude. And that's not the whole story. Even with ideal magnification, you'd still want to be above the Earth's atmosphere to avoid scattering and distortion effects. And even then, there won't be a perfect vacuum between you and the exoplanet. And the further away it is, the further that problem will be compounded as more and more tiny gas and dust particles get in the way. A second issue, and probably the biggest current barrier to direct exoplanet imaging, is the exoplanet star. 
One of our best methods for finding exoplanets is by occultation, where the planet passes in front of its star and the star's light dims slightly as a consequence. However, trying to take an image of a planet that's in front of and being backlit by its blazingly bright star is close to impossible. A star like the Sun is about a billion times as bright as any reflected light from the planets that orbit it. Even imaging an exoplanet that's side-lit by its star, with the blackness of space behind it, is still challenging. One option is just to plonk an opaque disk in your field of view, which will block out the star's light, but still allow you to collect photons from around its edges. Or you can try to isolate a few scant wavelengths of light that reflect off the planet but are not radiated by the star in those same wavelengths. Given these limitations, it's not surprising that some of our best successes in direct exoplanet imaging to date have been with exoplanets that orbit their star at a significant distance, which probably means they're well outside any kind of habitable zone. Spectroscopic analysis of exoplanet atmospheres is at a similar state of early development. So yes, we've done it, but the resolution is pretty low. For spectroscopy, it's actually good to have the planet occulting its star, since you get a well-defined light source shining straight through the exoplanet's atmosphere back to Earth. We have so far detected sodium, water vapour, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, methane, hydrogen and helium in exoplanet atmospheres. And we found indirect evidence of clouds, no clouds and even a stratosphere, although all these successful measurements come from less than 20 of the nearly 4,000 exoplanets that we currently know about. But it's a start. And, like direct imaging... We'll get better at this, and probably a lot better. Of course, if anyone finds definitive evidence of a biosignature in an exoplanet's atmosphere, that'll be on the evening news. You won't need some cheap podcast to tell you about it. Nonetheless, the court is still out on what a definitive biosignature is. Finding water is encouraging, but it just indicates potential habitability, not actual life. And methane or oxygen aren't all that telling either. There are various geophysical processes that can put methane and molecular oxygen in an atmosphere. Although if you detected a 20% oxygen atmosphere, you might start thinking there's something else going on there. Probably the best biosignatures of all are also civilization signatures, like chlorofluorocarbons or nitrogen dioxide. Both are produced by industrial processes, and neither would be plausibly produced by any natural event. However, CFCs and nitrogen dioxide both arise from the particular mix of chemistries we have on Earth. Perhaps one day we'll discover complex molecules that we know couldn't have arisen naturally, but which we couldn't easily replicate on Earth either, because they arise from an alien chemistry set. This is the end bit. So there you go. It's pure hubris to assume that an alien life form is going to be anything like us, 
And it's certainly not clear that intelligence is an inevitable outcome of every ecosystem. And even if it is, the primary purpose of biological intelligence may just be an interim step towards building robots, whose existence won't depend upon all the local chemistries that we've evolved in, and so it'll be the robots that go on to colonise the universe. Whether our robots will take all the poetry and the da-da-da-dum that we're so chuffed about remains to be seen, but maybe, deep within those synthetic neuronal constructs, there will be some residue of what was once us. Kind of like how that first fishy amphibian that flopped onto the land did make a contribution to landing Neil Armstrong on the moon. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just need more nihilistic dialogue about the essential pointlessness of all things, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and let us wait for Godot for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nerlich, Cheap Astronomy.